when I was younger, used to have, I've got like floating cartilage in my knee. And um, when I was younger, I used to complain of these aches in my knee before we found out that that's what it was. Um, it's not serious or anything. But I would complain about this pain and my mum would say, oh, it's just growing pains. It's just growing pains. Has anyone ever heard of that? It's just growing pains. No, it was cartilage floating around in my knee. Well, I just found out that actually growing pains isn't even a scientific thing. So my mum was lying to me and everybody else that's heard it. It's a lie. But it's just a way of explaining pain that we don't know the reason for in our bodies. And there is, a, uh, there is some kind of a, a feeling that it is a thing. Um, but the idea is that the pain or the aching that you feel, it's normally in your legs or in your hips, is because your bones and your muscles are growing. They're stretching. They're, they're growing. Um, whether it's an actual thing or just, or it's not, the concept makes sense and we can often look at times when we've grown, maybe not in the physical, and we've experienced pain through that process. An example of actual growing pains might be when someone does weight training at the gym. Uh, you do deadlifts, bicep curls, you do pull-ups, whatever, and you feel fine until the next day. And then you get to the next day. Day two is always the worst. And you can't, you, you can't move much. Sometimes, you know, you're trying to get down on the toilet and you have to, like, hold the walls to get down. Um, when I started weight training many years ago now, um, I did pull-ups. And my trainer would hold my feet because, obviously, I can't do a pull-up by myself. Um, and he, he would help me, like, with my legs. He would hold onto my feet and I would push up and use. And I remember for, like, a week afterwards, you know, I'd go to bed and I'd lay like this. And in the morning, I'd wake up and I'm like... It was so painful, like, to do this. And then the moment I did this again, oh, no, I've got to do it again. It was very painful. And the actual science behind weightlifting is this. When you lift weights that are heavier than you're used to, you actually cause small tears in the fibres of your muscles. And over the next few days, um, the body fuses those muscles back together again. And although the tears heal, the size and number of muscle cells that you now have are increased which increases the muscle size and the strength. And it's much the same in our walk with God. We suffer pain through circumstances and situations, different environments, actions that maybe we've, we've done or actions of others. And if we allow it, those experiences can help us grow and make us stronger. So tonight I want to maybe teach more than preach about suffering. And my title is Growing Pains. So we'll just pray first. Lord, we thank you that we can be in your house tonight. We've sung tonight, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you, that you can do all things, that you are great, that you are mighty, that you gave it all for us, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, that we can trust in you no matter the situation you are with us. And tonight, Lord, as I bring your word, as you've laid this upon my heart, I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to receive what you have given me. Lord, that the seed would go forth, that it would find that good ground, and that it would go deep, that it would change who we are, Lord, that it would actually impact our lives for the long term. I pray anoint it, Lord, and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3. If anyone knew what it was to suffer and to go through painful situations, it was definitely the writer of Philippians, 
and that's the Apostle Paul. Um, We won't turn to this other scripture, but in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul actually lists some of the suffering that he has gone through. He's whipped, he's imprisoned, he's tortured, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's robbed, he's hungry, thirsty, and the list goes on. He was a man that had experienced some incredible hardships. And it's even putting it light when, when it's, it seems a light way of saying it. He went through some incredible things. And before his conversion, he'd been well known, a man of prestige and position, and he had lost it all for the sake of the kingdom of God. And if you were to see Paul in the streets today, he probably wouldn't look very good, probably disfigured. I mean, if you think stoning, I mean, that's rocks, people throwing rocks at you. There's no protection. He's probably disfigured. He would have had many scars. And yet after all of this, he probably limped. After all of this, he was able to say the following. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I wonder, if we went through all of what Paul went through, what kind of attitude we would have had when we were writing the book of Philippians, the letter to this church. Oh, it's all good. It's fine. I can't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I've lost. I mean, obviously he went through a series of probably emotions going through those things. But would we have the same kind of attitude if we lost everything and had been through the same type of suffering that Paul had been through? Paul knew that the suffering of the life he was living was nothing compared to the glory that would be revealed in him. It was through the suffering that he would know who God was. And it was through suffering that his flesh would die. It didn't matter what Paul had lost or had to go through. It was all for one reason, to know God, to win Christ, to experience the power of resurrection and to share in God's sufferings. The New Living Translation puts verse 11 like this, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And we all love the power of the resurrection. We've sung a lot of songs tonight about the power of the name of Jesus and he's, he's bringing revival and he awakens hearts and he brings things from the dead and he turns situations around and we all get excited about the things that he does for us. And we sing those songs about the power of the name, the healings, the salvation that he offers us and we should. We should get excited about those things. He is powerful. He's, he can do anything. He can do all things. But our flesh hates that part about suffering and death because there are times when we're in the midst of those things and he's not delivering me and he's not healing me right now and he's not turning my situation around for good from what I see. And we resist pain. We resist suffering. 
And it's understandable in the flesh. No one likes pain. If you do, you're weird. But the problem with this kind of mindset is that we are hindered in experiencing the power of God because without death, there is no resurrection. Paul, probably one of the only ones that could whinge about his suffering, knew that suffering, it brought fellowship. It brought revelation. It brought depths to his relationship with God and it brought growth. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings, although painful, is what showed Paul who Jesus is, not what he does for him. What a way to see suffering. We need Jesus to help us with our mindset and the way that we see suffering sometimes. That we would be able to see suffering as an honor, as a gateway to truly knowing God. Not just knowing about him, but truly knowing who he is, to have intimate relationship with him. So what is suffering? In this and other verses in the Bible, in Philippians and other verses, the Greek word simply means pain, hardship, affliction. It can be experienced in different ways, and this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but I'll just list a few. You can have mental suffering, which I would consider things like fear or doubt that binds you, or depression. You can have physical suffering, sicknesses and diseases. You can have emotional suffering, broken heart. Has anyone ever experienced a broken heart? Or you can have spiritual suffering, which could be demonic oppression or possession. Examples of these kinds of sufferings in the Bible could be the mental Moses doubted that God could do what he, what he said he would in him. Physical, well, there's plenty of things in the Bible, plenty of miracles that we can see. The woman with the issue of blood. Many people were healed of leprosy. There was people, a man with a withered hand that was healed. The emotional pain. I can think of Hannah who was barren and just really desired a child and she had a broken heart. She poured it out before God. And spiritually, we can think of many people that were possessed in the Bible that God delivered from their possession. So where does suffering come from? If we go back to Genesis, where it all began, we'll be able to find out, was in the Garden of Eden. God gave a command to Adam. In Genesis 2.17, he said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Eat the fruit, you die. It's that simple. But what did they do? They ate the fruit. And the consequence of that choice was death. And we see in Genesis chapter 3 that God elaborated on what that meant. There was curses put in place because of the choice that they had made. There was death. There would now be pain. There would now be suffering. There would be trials. Things would no longer be easy for them. Suffering, ultimately, where does it come from? It's a consequence of human choice. We can blame Adam, we can blame Eve, or we can even blame God. But ultimately, it was a human decision to disobey, and we do it ourselves. And since that time, we have experienced suffering and pain because of the actions of humanity, whether that be our own or those of others. So why do we suffer? If we didn't know God and we believe that the world was somehow a result of millions of years of random evolution, then we'd probably think something like Richard Dawkins who said, 
In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. Another scientist by the name of Richard Sweeter, Sweeter put it this way, suffering has no intelligible relation to any plot except as a chaotic interruption. In short, suffering just happens and there's no purpose in it and no reason for it. And I thank God that I don't believe that. I thank God that we don't, that is completely incorrect. It is a completely wrong view of suffering. There is purpose to suffering. If we think like that, then we're going to be very miserable throughout our entire life. If we think that there is no reason for suffering, we are going to be very miserable. But we know that there is a purpose to suffering. It produces obedience. It grows us, those growing pains. It tests us. It helps us to get to know Jesus better. And again, there's a million different reasons that we can, or purposes for suffering. But I want to spend a few minutes tonight on a few of these reasons and hopefully help us to begin to look at suffering in a different light. When we read our opening text, it spoke of the fellowship of his suffering. What does fellowship mean? It means partnership. It means to share. It means to be in communion. It's a, it's a shared experience, something that you've both gone through. Communion means to be in intimate communication or have deep rapport with someone. And I have a personal example of this. In a previous organization I worked with, um, I was the executive assistant to a CEO for about five years. And when you work with someone that closely every day, you get to build a, a connection with that person. And in that five years, we both went some, through some very deep and dark uh, moments. And so our bond was quite strong um, to the point that we still keep in touch today. I have a deeper appreciation for him that others won't have. They don't know him like I know him. They don't know what he's been through because they didn't experience what he experienced and what I experienced in those times. And there are some parts of Jesus that you will never know without going through some dark times. Now, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, what an honor to, to suffer with Christ, that he, he says you can be a part of this. I know it sounds counterintuitive to think it's a positive thing to suffer. In our flesh, it's like, what are you talking about? But when you just spend a moment thinking of what this really means, I get to partner. When I'm in my suffering, what I'm doing is I'm partnering with the King of kings. I get to become intimately aware of him and his character that he doesn't just reveal to anyone. It's through those moments of suffering that I get to know him. And last week, Sister Sharon spoke about Job and his story of suffering. He lost his family, his wealth, his health, and then his friends. And all of that happens and he demands uh, an audience with God. I want to ask some questions. I want to plead my case. And um, if you get the chance, read those chapters where God speaks to, to Job because he kind of shuts him up and shuts him down and shows him some things and talks about uh, his creative power. Were you there when I flung the stars into the sky? Are you the one that stops the ocean from coming too far up the, the beach? 
And after God speaks to Job, he has this experience with him. Job's final response in chapter 42, verse 2 to 6 says, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye sees you. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. And you said, God, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I'd heard about you, but now I know you. I've seen you with my own eyes. To know him through the fellowship of his suffering. What, what an amazing way to look at it. If we could look at it that way in the moment of suffering. What if we entered a time of suffering and some of you are there right now. We thought about it like this. What, what is Jesus going to show me about himself this time? What is he going to reveal to me that wouldn't be revealed any other way? Hebrews 5 begins by talking about the priesthood of Jesus and the, the humanity, the human priesthood. And how uh, Jesus, he couldn't pronounce the priesthood upon himself in his humanity. It had to be divine. Um, the father, the divine said, you are a priest. And we pick it up in verse 7. And it says of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The divine allowed the humanity of Jesus to go through incredible suffering, to teach obedience as an example to us. Again, this really doesn't sit with my flesh very well. I don't like it. And when I was looking at this, I could feel this intense kind of resistance within me and rebellion. Don't you dare tell me that I have to suffer. Pain is not good for me. That's what my flesh says. But again, I want to try and help us see a different side to this. I believe sometimes we have a warped understanding of the love of God. We think that because Jesus loves us unconditionally, that he should completely protect us and put us in cotton wool so that we never experience pain or suffering. But that's not real life. Verse 8 says, though he were a son, he still had to learn obedience. And the example I thought of was Joshua, my nephew. 
the son of my sister and brother-in-law, and he's taken on their name, and they will teach him to obey, to listen to his parents and to those in authority. How do we teach discipline? There's many different views on this, but the Bible's pretty clear about this. It's chastisement. It's pain. Proverbs 13.24 says, He that spares his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. Joshua is taught what to do and what not to do, but he gets to choose whether he listens to mum and dad. And if you're a parent and you tell your child not to steal, but they choose to steal anyway, they'll face consequences. But if that child then points the finger at you as the parent and says their actions and the consequences of those actions are your responsibility, that's not right. People often choose to hold God responsible for things they have chosen to do that result in one kind of suffering or another. And we've all been there. I know I have. Remember, there is an important difference between what God causes and what he allows. God created the world and gave people a free choice to obey him and live in his perfect creation or to rebel by going their own way and suffer the consequences. What did people choose to do? They chose to rebel. He respected our choice. He did not make that choice for us. Another word that, um, that uh, is translated from the word suffering in the Bible is influence. I thought that was really interesting because influence is the capacity of something or someone to produce an effect on someone or something else. He allows the influence of suffering to teach us to obey. My sister, Joshua's mother, will be cooking in the kitchen and Joshua purposefully eyes off the, the, uh, the oven and he'll go crawl over to the oven and she'll say, Joshua, don't touch the oven. Now, if Joshua touches the oven, is it his mother's fault? I know she'll think it is. Most mothers, they'll have that guilt trip and they'll go, oh, I didn't do enough. And, but it's not her fault that Joshua touched the oven. It's Joshua's fault. Pain is a part of life. It's a good thing. If Joshua doesn't feel the burn of the oven, I'm not saying that you go and like get your kid to touch the oven, right, so that he doesn't touch it again. That's not what I'm saying. But if Joshua doesn't feel it, he isn't going to think it's a dangerous thing to touch. Now, next time, mum's cooking in the kitchen again and he crawls over to the oven and mum says, don't touch that, Joshua. He may look at the little scar on his finger and go, hmm, I remember last time I touched that oven. It was painful. I'm going to obey my mum this time. A good parent allows their children to feel pain. Another example is when Joshua had his vaccinations. We hate it. He hates it. But that doesn't mean you don't give him the vaccinations. They're given to him to protect him, to make him strong, to resist disease and illness. A good parent, a good father allows pain. Now, don't get me wrong, that does not give anyone a license to abuse a child. Unfortunately, anything that is written in the word of God is at risk of being corrupted and misused by sinful humanity. The word of God needs to be understood and implemented in our lives through the leading of God's spirit. A scripture we read in Proverbs says that a parent 
that doesn't allow the pain does not love their child. And that's a very strong statement, but it is good parenting. Pain allows us to learn lessons and to strengthen us. We are God's children. He's our father. He's our parent. And he's trying to teach us some things. A number of years ago, I made some choices. uh, Choices that had some pretty big consequences. They were bad choices that I made. It was um, when everything kind of culminated and all came out. It was a time of, of a lot of pain a lot of grief and brokenness and sorrow. And I spent a lot of time at this altar (laughs) and a lot of my time crying. And I felt like, am I ever going to stop crying? Am I ever going to get out of this this time of sorrow? And at the time, um, I remember one Sunday, I was just weeping at the altar again. And I remember pastor came and prayed for me. And all he said was, joy is coming. Joy is coming. And I was reminded of the scripture that he was probably saying really is that although weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. At the time, all I knew was that I was dealing with consequences of my own choices. I had burnt myself on the oven, so to speak. But five years on, I can now look back and see how that experience was so valuable. No one could have done what that experience did in my life. I learned the invaluable lesson of obedience through that period of time. And I also got to experience more of God that I never had before. And I now know him more intimately than I did back then. Did God want me to make those bad choices? Of course not. But he knows the power of suffering He knows that through the consequences of those bad choices, I became a better person. Did I want to go through the suffering? No way. Was it fun? Nope. Would I have changed the way that I did without the suffering? I don't think so. Again, we need to look at suffering in a different way and ask ourselves the question, how is Jesus trying to change me? What does he want me to do? Where is it that he wants to teach me obedience in my life? We read Hebrews 5 before with verse 9 saying, And being made perfect, that's through suffering and death, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Verse 11 to 14 says, Of whom, that's us, we, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What this is saying is, is that the people that should have matured by now are still babies. They're still wanting milk. They're still craving milk. But the Lord is wanting to give us strong meat. He wants us to be able to digest some things 
that may not be so easy, some suffering maybe, so that we can see better, so that we can know better, so that we can be more like him. But sometimes we're a bit like babies and we don't want to take strong meat because we like the comfort, the warmth, the safety of milk. And the reason babies can't actually, I looked this up just the other day, I was like, oh, why is it that they can't eat solids when they're young? When they're first born, um, they have a, what's called a tongue extrusion reflux. And this just means that when they put food in their mouth, they automatically push it out of their mouth with their tongue. They can't, it, it just won't go down. Milk is easy to consume. And Joshua, he loves his nighttime milk. On Wednesdays, I go to Chelsea's house after work and just before I come to church, she gets his milk ready and I'll be talking to him. The minute he sees that bottle, he doesn't want a bar of me, he doesn't want a bar of mum or dad, nobody. It's the milk. Give me the milk. He gets to sit cuddled on his mum's lap, surrounded by safety and warmth and just drink milk. But you see, if Joshua didn't grow out of milk and if he was still just drinking milk, if all we ever gave him was that, he wouldn't grow. He wouldn't be strengthened. The Lord wants to give us more of himself and wants to take us deeper with him. He wants us to mature and grow. But sometimes we say, "Uh uh-uh, and we push those experiences away and we say, give me the milk. If we keep coming up against a difficult circumstance in our life and it seems to be the same thing over and over again, maybe the Lord's saying, it's time to stop drinking milk, my child. I want you to swallow the strong meat. Let it teach you. Let it mature you and strengthen you so you can be sustained, so you can begin to teach others. In the midst of suffering... Sometimes we don't feel God and we don't know where he is. Sister Sharon shared this last week. But he does know where we are. And although we may think God is some untouchable, faraway father that sits on a big throne somewhere with no feeling, he is actually very close and understands more than we can comprehend. In Hebrews 5.2, it says, it's talking about the priesthood. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? It's saying, how can someone understand the weaknesses and struggles of others if he has not felt them first himself? Another scripture that Pastor Gavin mentioned this morning was Hebrews 4.15 and it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, He's not far away. He's not, he's, he's not untouchable. That's, not, that's what it's saying here. It, we, that's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve, it says, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What these scriptures are saying is that Jesus has felt what we feel. He knows what it's like to suffer and feel pain, to be abused, to be weary, to be troubled, to be hungry. Humanity chose suffering because humanity chose sin. But Jesus chose suffering because 
He loves us. What love? If we get the opportunity to suffer, we normally go, yeah, Nana, (laughs) another day. But Jesus stepped into that, knowing what he would have to suffer. The creator of the universe, the almighty God, would humble himself as a man and would choose to experience the suffering and the death so that we might have eternal hope of deliverance from suffering. So that we might know he has felt what we feel. He suffered so that we may have a final escape from suffering altogether. What a hope, church. What a hope that even in the midst of whatever you're going through right now, if you will hold on to Jesus, if you will let him take you through your suffering, he will bring you out the other side, whether it's in this life or it's in the next. Romans 8 verse 18 to 23 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. We can often feel that our world should be different. It should be free from suffering. And I, you know, when we look at the news and we see horrible stories and, you know, there's a lot of you here that have been through suffering and we can think, why? This is not fair. This is not fair. But that very impulse, that longing, that that, uh, groaning in us, it's a longing that God gave us so that we would look for something beyond this life. C.S. Lewis said it well when he said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The groaning that we feel, the pressure, the suffering, the pain, it's like a reminder. I'm just passing through. This life is fleeting. It's so short in comparison to eternity And it will end. I was made for another place. I was made for heaven. I was made for eternity where there is no crying. There's no pain. There's no dying. There's no suffering. And when that trumpet sounds, we will forever, 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 for eternity, for years and years and years, forevermore, we will be delivered from suffering. But right now, While we live in these bodies, on this earth, we will experience pain. And although pain is not an enjoyable experience, I pray that these words that I've spoken can help us to see it in a different way. Through suffering, Jesus gives me the opportunity to know him. God, 
gives me the opportunity to sit down with him. And I will tell you, there have been times in my life where I've suffered and, you know, like all the times my house got broken into or all those things that happened in my neighborhood. You know what those things did? They drew me to my knees in prayer. They drew me closer to God. That's what suffering does. And I remember one time praying, Lord, if suffering keeps me close to you, what a crazy, stupid prayer to pray. But if suffering keeps me close to you, then let it be. Give me suffering. Give me suffering. Because it's in those times that I feel close to God. I feel his sweet presence. I feel his arms. I feel his protection. I feel his closeness. And through suffering, Jesus is giving me an opportunity to grow, to be more like him, to be obedient to him. We can be confident, though, that in our suffering, Jesus is right there with us. We can be confident that he loves us. Please do not misunderstand what I mean when I talk about suffering. I dare say most of us in this room have experienced incredible hardships, many of us at the hands of others probably. Pain and suffering are not something to pretend didn't happen. It's not to make light of it. But what I can say is this, that through the suffering, however hard and however painful it may be, God is with us through it and will ultimately deliver us from it when he returns for his beautiful church. I can have a musician. Let's stand. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39 says, Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or sickness, or financial trouble. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Sometimes you're going to go through tough things and there's going to be people that want to destroy your reputation. Nay, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, and sometimes you've got to become persuaded, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever suffering you've experienced in the past or that you might be experiencing right now or that you may experience in the future, God has never left you and will never leave you. He loves each and every one of us so much and he walks with us through the suffering. And so I'd like to give you an opportunity tonight to come to the front of the church to ask God to help you through your suffering, that whatever you're experiencing, maybe it's your own choices, it's consequences of your own choices. God, help me to learn from this experience. Help me to grow from this experience. 
I want to be strengthened. I want to be different. I don't want to go through a situation and then just be the same person. I don't want to waste that suffering. Or maybe it's suffering that happened many years ago that you need healing from. God can heal you tonight. Or it may be things that are happening to you that really, it's not that you can help the situation. It's just what you're in. You can draw close to God and you can know God on a deeper level. And so these altars are open tonight. If you want to come and spend some time with the one that knows exactly what it's like to feel suffering. Hallelujah, Jesus.